Should we just pray again as we just look at um, those verses Genesis read to us? Let's just pray. Father, we just ask, just echo in Jane's prayer, Lord, that uh, what's said here, Lord, will be um, listened to in the way it should be. That, Father God, we would all be listening, Lord, not for the voice of, of me, but the voice of God. That, Lord, we would hear your words, Lord, said or unsaid, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of our hearts. And, Father God, may, um, may what I say honour you, Father, I pray above all things. And, Lord, draw us all closer into your kingdom, we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Don't you hate it when that happens? Anyway, um, two things I must tell you. Well, firstly, I must tell you a very important thing. Uh, marital harmony has been restored to the Hanson house. Um, the tree is up. Uh, so I, I must just thank a few people. Uh, I thank those that um, just spoke to Andrew during the week about the tree and, uh, and just pleaded my case for getting the tree up. It was always going to go up on the second week of January anyway, but it makes me look like I've, I've won. Anyway, not that it's about winning. Marriage isn't about winning, by the way. It's about other things anyway so um moving on from that uh, but marital harmony is that the tree is up when you pass our house we've got three different types of lights in our house so not one of them matches any of the others so uh, we'll, we'll work on that for next week next next week next year let me ask you a, a very important question what is the most best or the best you say the best christmas song joins the world I was thinking more wham. I was going in that direction. Um, but well done. Oh, man, Winter's ruined it for everybody else, isn't they? No one's going to say a secular song there. I'm thinking secular stuff. Sorry, Winsome. You're so sort of, you know. Just... E17 stay another day. Yeah, you're getting a nice white bomber jacket for Christmas. Anybody else? Best Christmas song? Fair to have New York. Yeah? White Christmas, anybody else? You're, you're dreaming of White Christmas? The Wombling... Oh. I'm not sure where to go from that. Anybody else? One more? On the right-hand side, you've been very quiet. Merry Christmas by Slade. The song that never stops playing. On and on and on. Now, I, uh, I've been doing some research. Time Out magazine have given us the official top five. You're all wrong, obviously. And um, so, at number five... Um, I wish we had a little... Number five is uh, Fairy Tale of New York um, by the Pogues. They're number five. (laughs) Coming in at number four, White Christmas by Bing Crosby. Uh, Number three, Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home. I'm not sure I know how that goes, but um, there we are. You can see it to me afterwards. Number two, of course, is Last Christmas by Wham. And uh, number one, according to Time Out, the best Christmas song after Winsome's suggestion is, of course, uh, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You. They're all, in fact, incorrect. In fact, none of you are right this morning. The best Christmas song, hands down, every year. There is not one better. Never been written, never will be written. Mistletoe and Wine by Cliff Richard. <laughs> no? Anyone agree? Not sure if it's solidarity? Yeah, me and Doreen, that's good. Jane, that's uh, four of us. Come on. Anyway. Nothing to do with the sermon whatsoever, in that we are looking at the only connection, what I'm about to say, is that the, last, uh, the next couple of weeks over Advent, we'll be looking at songs uh, of Christmas. Because across the Nativity story, the Bible itself offers up four Christmas songs, which are far better than Fairy Tale of New York, and far better than Mistletoe and Wine, I have to tell you. Full of beautiful content, full of truth, full of promises, songs that some of them are very short, some of them are much longer, like this morning's one. But songs that speak of hope, songs that speak of real joy, proper hope going forward. Our timeout list is wrong because God has given his, his top four. 
Mary's song that we looked at last week, Zachariah's song, which we're going to look at in a minute, and then a song of the angels to the shepherds where they sing to them, and then a final song which came when Jesus was eight days old at the temple when Simeon picked him up and he sang. He spoke words, but some people say that was a song, almost a song in the temple. There are four. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to get to all four, because next week, of course, we're all dressing as shepherds, so uh, I won't actually be saying anything next week. So uh, it'll be one of the last two, Angels or Simeon, on the 23rd. But let's look at Zechariah's song. Let me read it to you again. Um, If you've got the Bible, which I hope you do, um, always a good thing to have at church. Um, So Luke chapter 1, verse 67 all the way to 79. And this is Zechariah's song. I'll just read it a second time. It says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors And to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. I'd love to have heard it sung, but um, I don't suppose we'll ever know the tune until we get to heaven, perhaps. That'd be brilliant to hear it. But So this is Zachariah's song. We looked at Mary's song. If you remember where we are in the story, at the beginning of the book of Luke, we get the first half of Zachariah's story where the angel comes to him and says, your wife's going to have a baby and you're going to call him John. And uh, and Zachariah, of course, um, doesn't quite believe the angel and he has nine months of silence uh, where he's muted uh, because he won't believe what God commands. Um, Zachariah is a priest uh, so the angel speaks to him whilst he's in the temple. And, uh, and his son, John, who is a relative of Jesus, connected to Jesus, um, Jesus' family tree, um, will be a, a kind of priest. John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, is in the line of Aaron, who goes right back to Moses in the book of Exodus, the priestly line. And so John is going to be a kind of priest for Jesus when he's born. He's going to prepare the people. That's what the priests were supposed to do, prepare the people so they could meet with God properly and that's what John the Baptist would grow up to do he would go out into the desert and he would preach repentance from sin he would tell them the wrath of God was coming and he would say repent of your sin be baptized and they'll be baptized in the river Jordan and he would actually get to baptize Jesus and one of the reasons we baptize people as Christians as adults in full immersion which we'll be doing in January is because Jesus was baptized that way as well and we follow his example in everything that we can So he's going to be a kind of priest uh, to Jesus like his dad was a priest to God in the temple. And what's interesting is this song that I've just uh, read out to you, you may think it's kind of fairly similar. If you remember last week and Mary's song, and they're fairly similar to each other uh, in terms of what they say and their main themes, but they're actually quite different as well. They're similar in the sense that both Zechariah and Mary are full of Old Testament language. Um, Mary is well versed in her faith. She knows her Old Testament, so when she praises God, it just bubbles out of her. She uses the words of God to praise God. And Zechariah, as a priest, 
knows the word of God. And so when he bursts forth in praise and he prophesies, he speaks the words of God. And we said last week, didn't we, that it's really important as Christians that we know the Bible, that we know the promises of God. We're told to hide the word of God in our hearts. And when things go wrong, Jesus promises you won't have to worry about what you say because the Holy Spirit will remind you. But he can only remind you of what you've already read. I don't think God's in the business of telling you stuff in his word that you haven't read. I think he expects you to read it and then he reminds you of it when you go through trials and tough times. Don't worry about what you say when you're brought in front of the courts and persecuted. The Spirit of God will remind you of those things. He'll tell you what to say. But you've got to first know it. You've got to hide those words in your heart so God can bring them to you when you need them. Both these two are filled and understand the Old Testament and, and it just flows out of them. And it's quite beautiful. And you may have met people who know the Bible so well and something happens and they just seem to know the right verse for the right situation. It just sort of flows out of them. I've met people and they just seem to always speak the Bible and uh, the rest of us don't quite in same, the same way but it just seems to flow. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens because you're devoted to God and you're devoted to his word and you spend time in his word and you meditate on it and you think about it and you apply it. So that when things happen, God's truth flows out, often into lies in front of you. So they're similar like that. They're similar as well in the sense that they're both a kind of reaction to this good news that the Messiah's coming, God's doing something, God's bringing salvation. And they're both a response of praise. Mary erupts in praise and uh, Zechariah's slightly different, but he's praising God. He's praising God. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. He's come to his people, he's finally come. They're erupting in praise. How good is it when you erupt in praise? I don't know if you've had that. Maybe during a song on Sunday morning, you just sort of go, yeah, like that. Maybe it's just me. I'm at the front. I can't see what you're all doing. But I love it when you get overcome with that joy and you think, I love you. This is brilliant. Yes. I sometimes do two hands. It's very exciting for everybody else. But, or maybe you want to clap at the end. Or, or maybe you read something and your heart just explodes. You think, this is so true. And I love it. And I love you, Lord. That's what we can have in our quiet times, in our loud times, in our times of worship, overflowing with praise. Let God really just take over your life and let him burst you with praise. Sorry, I got distracted there. They're both similar in that, so they use the Old Testament language, they're both a response of praise, and both of them, Mary and Zechariah, look back to promises of deliverance in the Old Testament, promises of hope in the Old Testament. Zechariah says in 68, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And then 72, to show mercy to our ancestors and remember his holy covenant, the, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. And so, like Mary, he's looking back to the promises in the Old Testament. God had been promising for thousands of years that he was going to send a Messiah. He was going to deliver his people. He was going to set them free. And finally, the Messiah's come, being born in Bethlehem. And, and Zachariah's own son, John the Baptist, is going to be a key part of what this baby Jesus is going to go on to do. It's so wonderful. But they're also quite different as well, the two songs, Mary and Zechariah. Mary erupts in praise, but Zechariah, we read in verse 67, is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesies. What he's saying is prophetic. He's speaking something of the truth of God into this situation And he's filled with God's Holy Spirit, something we don't get told Mary is in quite the same way. And so he prophesies, he particularly prophesies over his son John, verse 76. 
He says, in you, my child, that's not Jesus, that's, he's talking to John, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. You'll go before him, the Lord, to prepare the way for him, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That's what John's job is going to do. And he gets to prophesy over his son. This is what God is going to do with you. How wonderful, what a beautiful moment. Wouldn't it be good if we could do that to our own children when they're born? You know, so and so. Um, this is what I feel God's got for you and to bless them and pray for that to be fulfilled in their life. How wonderful. I know people whose children were born and people have felt they had a prophetic word over that child. And it is the most wonderful thing to see and then pray into and say, Lord, please let that happen. Let that happen in their life. Wouldn't that be wonderful uh, to see that? So he's filled with God's Holy Spirit. His language picks up um, lots of Old Testament themes. Uh, Isaiah 9, where it says that people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Right at the end, he almost says the same thing, doesn't he? To shine on those living in darkness, in the shadow of death. Every human being lives in the shadow of death, don't we? Because we all know that we are mortal. Our lives will come to an end. We're in the shadow of that ultimate moment that comes at the end of our life. And to people like us, this Jesus is going to bring hope. This Jesus is going to bring life. This Jesus is going to bring forgiveness. And also, you can't help but notice the, um, the contrast between Mary's reaction to the archangel Gabriel and Zacharias. They're both m- met by the same angel. And as Mary has given her news that she's, even though she's a virgin, she's going to be with child who's going to be called Jesus and will save people, her reaction is simply, let it be to me as you've said. Zachariah is all sort of, well, how's that going to work? I'm kind of old. My wife's kind of old. How possibly are we going to have a child? And so the angel says, you'll be quiet, mute for nine months because you didn't believe the word of the Lord. And it's quite an interesting um, contrast, isn't it? You've got this peasant girl, very young. Then you've got this old man who's a priest. And really, he should have taken an angel at his word. And you'd expect the peasant girl not to. But she shows up. The priestly man in her faith, her simple, very profound faith. And it reminded me actually of the words and the advice of Paul in 1 Timothy um, chapter 4, verse 12. I'll flick over to that. Paul writes to a young church leader, um, Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 12. And he says to, this, says to Timothy this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And it really just struck me that actually, isn't it wonderful to know that God doesn't just use the right person in the world's eyes. Zachariah's the right person, isn't he? But Mary's this young, poor girl. But God loves to do, demonstrate his power and his plan through unexpected people in unexpected ways. And there's a real lesson for us, isn't there? Because we believe that every Christian is valid. Every Christian is the same in God's kingdom. The priesthood of all believers, not one or two. And God can use everybody for his kingdom. And as I said last week, I say again, there is a place for you and I in the plans of God. You may feel that you're too young. You may feel you're too old. You may feel you're too broken. You may feel you're too sinful. You may feel that you've got such a checkered past that God can't use someone like me. Well, pick up your book. And you tell me, you find me someone in here that wasn't all of those things, except Jesus. We have a God who loves to use the weak to shame the strong, the foolish to shame the wise, as it says in Corinthians. So if you feel foolish and weak this morning, brilliant. Excellent news. I'm so pleased. 
God isn't particularly interested in those who think they're strong and those who think they're wise because often the wise and the proud God has to bring down a peg or two. So be humble, be broken, but be confident that God will use you because you are just in the right position to be used. So the main theme of Zachariah's song and Mary's as well from last week is a theme of deliverance. It's all about God delivering his people from their enemies um, and their sin. And, uh, and so he talks of this Messiah and how he's going to set people free, set his nation free. Last week we spoke about the context of which both these songs would have been delivered into. The Romans were in charge of Israel. They were the oppressive force had taken with their empire much of that part of the world. And Israel were just under their power. The Romans were in charge. Society was broken. Society was poor. People were divided the, on religious lines, on gender, on um, socioeconomic, all the possible lines it could be. Society was fragmented. And how great would it have been to have heard Mary and then Zechariah sing that God has finally come, that God is moving, that God is going to bring everybody back together and deliver them from their sin. How wonderful is it? This song is more than just a nice sentiment. This is truth, that God is going to save his people and deliver them from their enemies and their sin. And actually, that's what happens when we follow Christ, isn't it? We get to sing of deliverance and hope no matter what goes on. You can stick a Christian down a pit or in prison as many of our persecuted brothers and sisters find themselves. You can take away our houses and our money. You can take away our arms and our legs. You can do all sorts of things to God's people. Our reputations and our statuses and our jobs. Yet those that know Christ fully will sing songs of hope even when they have nothing. That is the offer for all of God's people that even when the chips are down or non-existent, you can sing of hope and joy because there is always more of your God to come because your God wins. He never loses. He will win in the end. It reminds me actually this, of uh, the songs that they uh, talk of, the the slave trade in the height of uh, America all those years ago. Um, Those that were taken as slaves uh, to work would sing their spiritual songs, as they call them, and, um, and there's a very well-known one. In fact, perhaps we could play a short clip of it. This is for David Gray, actually. When I looked over Jordan and what did I see Coming forward to carry me home There was a band of angels coming after me Coming forward to carry It's a toss-up between uh, Johnny Cash or Jazz and Dave, I felt that it was probably Johnny Cash this morning. Um, Johnny Cash, the greatest singer of all time, obviously, uh, after Cliff Richard and Mistletoe and Wine, but we, that's a very separate, very separate debate. Anyway, where was I? But what's happening here kind of reminds me of that situation because here you have these people who are ripped from their homes, treated atrociously, terribly, and yet as they are enslaved, as they work, they sing. And they sing not just that song, and that's not a rugby song, um, go and put the picture up. This is for Mark Kimber. Uh, sorry, Mark. Take it off quickly. Take it off quickly. Um, that's, that is a good. <laughs> um, but they sang songs of hope. They were able to, even though they had their freedom removed, sing that God was going to come. They were going to carry them home. The image of Elijah being taken with his fiery chariots. And not just that song, but many other songs of joy, of hope. And isn't that the privilege of God's people? That even if the world robs us of everything, we are still able to sing of hope 
because our Messiah conquered death. In fact, our songs are almost defiant. And actually, come Tuesday, when our MPs vote in the House of Commons, and I hope you pray for them. I hope you pray for wisdom and humility. And I hope you pray that those that see opportunities for power will be shamed to use a nation's destiny for that. But I hope come Tuesday we pray for that because the landscape of the United Kingdom may well change again. It may well be in the next few years struggles increase. It may be that divisions in our own nation widen. And the church has a responsibility in the coming landscape of the United Kingdom to lift up people's heads to something greater, someone greater. It could be that people are about to lose everything, all their confidence, even their money, and they will need to know when that happens that there is still reason to sing for hope and joy because God is still on the throne. And I hope that we will be the people that will speak of forgiveness, speak of transformation of broken lives and talk of a future that has a certain and clear hope no matter what happens because everyone can have a place in the kingdom of God. I hope we become a people of prayer in this church going forward. This nation needs it, needs its church to be on its knees. And there are three ways you can pray in this church. As Georgia mentioned right at the beginning, to get involved with our month of prayer, to pray every night. Don't just come when your connect group's on, but come as often as you can in January. and Pray for this church, pray for each other, pray for our town. Join with Dave as prayer for the UK takes off in January as we begin to pray over the politics and, the, and on a bigger scale. Join with him as they pray for the nation. And then join with us and Andrea as we walk round our towns. You know, every, every day for the last three weeks, members of this church have walked right round Sorbridgeworth and prayed for God to bless it. Prayed for where drug dealing takes place for it to stop. Prayed for those in poverty to be blessed and broken homes to be fixed. People from this church have done that. And if that excites you, any of those excite you, join in. Our nation needs churches and Christians who sing hope and pray it, believing that God can and will move. So this theme of deliverance uh, runs right the way through the Bible. In the Old Testament, um, it tended to be, when I talked of deliverance, it tended, you can put the picture up actually, Hendrik, uh, it tended to be from physical situations. Uh, God's people would cry out for deliverance from their enemies, from wickedness. They would cry out for deliverance from famine and physical situations, death, the grave. Of course, the most famous act of deliverance in the Old Testament was when God took his people and led them out of Egypt with Moses, and they crossed the Red Sea. Forty years later, they got to Canaan, the promised land. He delivered them from the oppression of Egypt. So in the Old Testament, when they spoke of deliverance, they were often thinking of physical, practical situations that people saw in front of them. But as this song that uh, Zachariah sings unfolds, what becomes clear is that actually the deliverance this baby is going to bring is going to be very different. A spiritual deliverance from things like sin and evil and death. That those Old Testament stories of deliverance in physical situations were symbolic of a greater deliverance that every human being would need from their sin, from the devil and from death itself. And this is the hope of Christmas, isn't it? That everybody can be delivered. This is what Jesus did when he walked on the earth. He delivered the blind man from blindness. delivered Lazarus from death. The woman caught in adultery, he delivered her from guilt and condemnation. He delivered the, the oppressed and gave them freedom. My most favorite story of Jesus delivering someone comes just a few chapters later in chapter 5 of Luke. And I'd love to read it to you because it's an unexpected story. 
Because we think that we often need deliverance from the things we're going through physically. But Jesus knows our deeper need. One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on the mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who talks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. God brings deliverance to what we actually need, which is often far deeper than our physical situations. And this baby, this Jesus wouldn't just offer deliverance from what we're going through, but from what we are, our sin and our brokenness. He's able to turn fear into hope. I want to play a very short video um, of people that were, are asked about their fears and then asked about what's changed as they've come to know Jesus. No? We're not playing that. Is it not? No? Okay. Did I not say I thought I said it to you. Okay. That's not happening. <laughs> It's a terrible moment you look across and Hendrix is doing this. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do now. <laughs> I may just close in prayer and sit down. Um, so having seen that video, you know what I mean. So let's carry on. <laughs> but, the, but this is the message of Christmas anyway, isn't it? Um, that there is a deliverance available for all people. A deliverance from fear and from trials from trouble and deliverance from death. This is our message, isn't it? That death has lost its sting. I had the privilege of conducting Betty Ewing's funeral just last week, a week, week before. And to be able to say from the front that she is with God in heaven is the most wonderful thing ever. Because death has lost its sting because Christ, the Messiah, born in Bethlehem, has delivered her. It's not only possible to be delivered from these things, but a certainty through faith in Christ. And we face, we face uncertain times ahead. And maybe some of us will feel in the next couple of years enslaved by our situations for a time. Perhaps some of us here will know poverty in a way we've not quite known before. Maybe some of us here will even know oppression. Some of us may experience trouble and hurt. But the message of Christmas and the message of Jesus is very simple. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's why his birth is such good news. And the Christmas message invites us to come to him, the one born king, and be released be delivered, to turn fear into hope. And that even in the darkest valley, even there, we are able to sing songs of joy because our God reigns. Our God always reigns. And in him we trust him. In him we rely on. In him we move and live and have our being. In him 
is our only hope. And we're going to sing a song in a moment. I want to give you a chance to respond because maybe this morning you feel trapped by something. And we'll have some prayers, Janice, maybe Andrew and Daphne. Um, And if you want to just come down the front in our next couple of songs, someone will pray with you before the kids come in and we're interrupted and they start charging around. But maybe you feel trapped by something. It may be a fear, it may be a habit, so you haven't got to say what it is. But just let someone pray. Just let somebody ask on your behalf that God will deliver you. Because only Christ can. Or maybe you're not even a Christian. You're not sure where you stand at all. And you want to be delivered from your sin. Well then, have that conversation as well. Should we pray as Jane just comes up to lead us? Father God, Lord, we do thank you that you can turn our fears into joys and hopes. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son all those years ago. Lord, it wasn't just so that we could put Christmas trees in our houses and have a few days of work. Lord, it was so that we could be released from our sin, from the darkness and oppression that we often face, Lord, mentally and physically, but Lord, also spiritually. Lord, he came so that we could be free. And we think of that man lowered down to the roof. So often, Lord, we think we know what we need if this physical situation could be fixed. Yet, Lord, you know our spiritual condition. How we fix that this morning, I pray. Whether we come forward or stay where we are, we pray, Lord, that there would be a real moving of your Holy Spirit in each of our hearts, that you would repair and restore and release. Pray for that you would release us from those things that hold us captive. Lord God, please send your Spirit amongst us, we pray. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour.